0: All right, guys, it's 630. Let's go ahead and wrap up and begin our, uh, our teaching time. I want to make sure everybody gets out on time. Those of all you I haven't met yet, I am Bob Moon. Good to, good, to, good to meet you all. You guys look much more impressive up here, I'll say, you know, coming from here. So uh, really glad for the opportunity to, uh, to be able to, to lead us today digging into this, uh, this scripture. Let's, uh, let's start with a quick word of prayer. Lord God, I'm so thankful for your word, for the blessing that you've given us, Lord, for the opportunity we have in this study to, uh, to dig into your word and to fellowship with other brothers and dig into your truth. Lord, I ask that you would just speak through me in this time, uh, Lord, you have me say what you would have me say, what we need to hear, what I need to hear, what needs to be reinforced in my heart. Uh, Lord, you are great and I am not, and Lord, I thank you that you, um, you have something to say to each one of us through your scripture and we just ask that you'd uh, we'd be able to, to respond in the way that you'd have us to respond, as and that we would uh, lift up the name of Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, chapter nine of Acts uh, brings us to a, a kind of a new focus, continuing to shift our focus away from the apostles in Jerusalem that we studied in the earlier parts of Acts, uh, and brings us to focus squarely on someone who's going to become a major player in the story of the spread of Christianity and a, and a key part of what we'll be studying in the rest of Acts, Saul of Tarsus. But I think it's interesting we also get these smaller character studies uh, of men, even a regular guy like Ananias uh, that God uses in his plan. Uh, I'm, I'm continuously struck by how Luke provides details in these, uh, studying Luke, uh, studying the, the, the Gospel of Luke and these, uh, you know, the story of Acts, how Luke peppers his story with great details for us. Um, You know, in this one, the breathing threats and murder uh, statement that he says about Saul, which I think is also funny thinking about the fact that, from what I can tell, Luke has to be one of Paul's best friends. You know, he spends more time with him throughout the story of Acts uh, than probably anybody, but he's got this breathing threats and murder picture of of Saul before Christ. We all get these... um, you know, details like Saul knocked to the ground by, you know, by, by the light from heaven, uh, the scales falling off of Saul's eyes, which I think you know, we, know, we know Luke to be a doctor, and I just think what a great picture of this, this detail of the scales coming off of his eyes and the dramatic nighttime escape from Damascus. Just these, Luke is really great at telling a story. Um, so let's talk real quickly about reviewing the themes that we've been talking about through the book of Acts. Uh, you can see, you know, uh, most of them here. I think in the in this in, in chapter nine, see the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a little bit in the background to me in this, in this um, in this chapter, uh, in, than in some of the previous ones. He does appear. Uh, I think certainly at work in the life of Saul, but um, more in the background. this kind of you know, he, he does you know, fills Saul uh, af- after his conversion, heals him. Uh, and then we see him kind of reappear right at the end in verse 31 as he's comforting the churches as they're, as they're resolving, uh, you know, dealing with the, the kind of the aftermath of, of Saul's appearance. We can certainly see the Great Commission, you know, we, as we've seen this, the growing period from, um, you know, the, the focus on Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And this is the, the first instance that, that I'm aware of where we see, you know, actual believers outside of uh, the state of Israel in another nation in Syria. Uh, the path of, the sal- of salvation history is very clear here as we see, um, you know, statements from the Lord himself that the gospel, reiterating again and again, the gospel is not just for the Jews, but it's going to go to the Gentile world. And, and then certainly seeing how Paul becomes a witness, a witnessing for Christ is, is, a, is a very key part of what you see from him, that, um, you know, as, as soon as, as we'll see, as soon as he Uh, goes through this conversion experience he begins to proclaim Jesus and and to to preach about him and to to share about him both in Damascus and then later in Jerusalem as well I see the development of the church is the other theme we've we've been going through I see less of that here I think that this focus is more kind of on the the narrative around Saul and his conversion uh, Though we do see the church appear a little bit uh, you know kind of when, when Saul gets to Jerusalem but we see less about that one to me in this part of the part of the story so, as I've studied this chapter, thankfully to Brian, I got lots of t- opportunity to study this chapter because I knew about it for several weeks. but i've been I've been studying it and really kind of sitting in uh, this chapter a good bit. Uh, but it's clear to me that, that it really paints a picture of these three guys that we see, kind of these three characters that appear in the story, each of them really confronted by God with something uncomfortable, some uncomfortable situation that God puts them in, and how do they respond. And I'm hopeful, you know, from my perspective, that I can learn that we can learn from the experience and testimony of these guys as they're put in these situations where they have to um, you know, they're kind of confronted by a situation God's given them and how they, ha- and how they respond. So in chapter 9, Luke zeroes in on Saul. Um, he's appeared a couple of times in chapter 6 and 8, just kind of making these brief appearance, appearances. So Luke really zeroes in on him uh, in, this, in, in this chapter. So what do we know about Saul? The um, Bible gives us a good bit of information about Saul and his background before we get here. Um, Paul actually Saul actually talks a lot about his background and kind of his uh, peppered through the, the, the letters that he's written. He was born in a Jewish family in Tarsus to parents who were Roman citizens, which I think is probably fairly unique. I mean, he was, he was kind of in, a, in an interesting position. He was Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. He, uh, he says himself he was a member of the strictest group of the Jews. He was, he was a Pharisee. Uh, he later says he was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He's, he's, he's really part of the strictest you know, uh, um, part of the, the Jewish faith. He was a Bible student. He was a biblical student. He was an activist. He was a zealot. He was very, um, you know, he, he was a very thoughtful, studious, active guy. Uh, and I have to wonder. The Bible doesn't tell us. I have to wonder. You know, he appears in the narrative pretty soon after Pentecost. We don't know. I don't. I don't know any places where it says that he was he was there in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. We we don't know. I, I would think maybe if he was, he would have said it. Uh, but he was he was there. You know, as part of as part of the activities right away. Um, so Saul has this tremendous amount of knowledge. He's got this tremendous social capital, right? He's, he, he was a rising star. He even says, you know, he's kind of uh, noted to be zealous for his age. He was, uh, you know, today he might be a, you know, a blogger or a, you know, a YouTube rock star. I mean, he, he was, he was a, you know, this rising star in Judaism. And yet, as our first point, we see Saul was this religious zealot going exactly the wrong way. He was this religious Guy, but he was going exactly the wrong way. To me, he's a great example of a point that uh, Pastor Anson made in uh, on Sunday. He was 100% sincere, and he was 100% wrong about Jesus. He was ravaging the church. I just kept coming back to that term. He was Saul the Ravager. You know, would be his wrestler name. I mean, he he was he was this he was this rab, I mean, he was just really you know um, working the church. He was, he was like a rabid. Jewish culture warrior. I mean, he was—he was—he was trying to stamp out these heretics. Um, you know, he's not content. We've—we've we, seen him at work in Jerusalem in the in the early days, in the early chapters we've studied. He wasn't content just to see these believers, um, you know, locked up and killed in Jerusalem. We—we um, we don't know exactly, but I suspect that for, you know, just reading through the scripture and what what we know of what the time was like, that. Perhaps the the as the, the church is spread out and people leave from Jerusalem and, and go out and scatter abroad through the you know out through that region, people end up in Damascus. I suspect perhaps that the leaders of the synagogues in Damascus wrote a letter to Jerusalem to the to the high priest saying, "Hey, look, we've got these troublemakers that have appeared. They're teaching this uh, you know this this new way, this new thing, uh, and they're they're stirring up trouble in Damascus." And I think. Saul gets wind of that and he like signs up. He's like I'm ready, you know. I want to I, um, I want to I want to you know, I I want to I to go take care of the you know these these people who've run off to Damascus, you know. They shouldn't be able to take take refuge there. So he gets this warrant from the high priest to be able to go to to Damascus and arrest any Jewish believers that, any believers that he finds there, men and women as was pointed out today, and uh, and to bring them back in chains. I mean, what a what, what a what a mission he's picked for himself. Um, he's gonna bring them back from Damascus to, uh, to Jerusalem as prisoners. And this is historically accurate. I, f- I found this today in some of the commentaries that, that had that, that actually, because that that, I wondered, you know, why does he have the right to go to some other country and bring back these people? Uh, but that actually is historically accurate that the Roman government had given the Jews um, the right to extradite people to extradite troublemakers, basically to be able to bring people back from uh, and to punish them according to their law. So that actually was something that was a, a historical accuracy that uh, several Roman leaders had done that. Uh, so Paul had you know, the legal right to be able to, to do that, to try to keep the peace. So Saul hits the road to Damascus, which, you know, may have, if, you, if you look that much, it was, the, was and is the capital of Syria. Um, likely about 135 miles, depending on how, how Google sends you, um, from, De- from Jerusalem to Damascus, which to me is, you know, that's about like walking from here to Chattanooga, you know, to, to go out and, and, and to, to hunt down Christians. I mean, he, he, he was all in on this mission, right? I mean, he was, he was ready to go um, and, and to, to find these Christians. It's, it's interesting at the time, the, Damascus had a very large Jewish population. The numbers I saw, as many as ten to 15,000 Jews, living in, you know, in and around the, the city of Damascus. So there would have been many synagogues. It was a pretty, pretty heavily, uh, heavy concentration uh, of Jews at the time. It, some speculation of whether perhaps um, the, the Christians there were uh, just refugees who'd gone from Jerusalem, or perhaps um, one commentator said, uh, Damascus is only about 50 or 60 miles from Galilee. So maybe there had even been some, some spread of you know, following Jesus Because of Galilee was Jesus' base of operations there, but for for whatever reason they were um, they were they were um, there there were these group of uh, of Christian believers there. So Saul's story has really kind of haunted me as I've as I've been preparing. There, um, you know, there's lots of things you can focus on in this story, but I, I just kept coming back to how could he be so knowledgeable? How could he have this perfect resume? Uh, you know, this perfect spiritual resume and be so absolutely wrong? You know, w- what happened? What, what what went wrong with, with Saul? Uh, and it made me really stop and think, could I be so convinced of my own righteousness and my own credibility that I would, you know, march off with this kind of level of anger and hatred in my heart? You know, could one of us be that mule-headed uh, to think that we could, you know, lash out at our enemies, even thinking that we're, you know, well, they're enemies of God, right? Saul so thought he was on the right side but he was not. You know, what what really what drove him, I you know, was it? This commitment to orthodoxy, this idea that uh, you know, he maybe saw himself as a latter-day Elijah, I'm going to purify, you know, purify the religion. Was he a Zionist? Was he like, you know, trying to to make Israel great again as uh, Brian said in one of our earlier sessions? As a Roman, was he really, you know, like looking at the from a political perspective or was he really just trying to you know, build his own personal brand? You know, was he like thinking I could be high priest if I just, you know, if I just get my name out there. Um, So I, you know, I would ask, I challenge you the way God's challenged me. Is it possible that you got up really early on a Wednesday morning to come to a Bible study, but you're perhaps doing it for the wrong reason? Could one of us be doing it for the wrong reason as well in the same way that Saul did? Trying to earn our stripes like Saul, you know, holding the coats at, at Stephen Stoning. Is it possible we're fighting a battle, but we're on the wrong side? You know, is it possible that we, that I could take my eyes off of Jesus? Is it possible even to have never really encountered him and to still uh, fall into this trap? So I would encourage you that, you know, to, 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 to think about that. I, I, you know, I had to come back and reiterate to myself, I had to ask the Holy Spirit to convict me where I might be prioritizing the wrong things, fighting or, you know, mentally arguing with since I'm a pretty peaceful guy you know uh you know with with the wrong people on the wrong team now I come I want to be on team Jesus right I I don't want to be I don't want to be following the rules that I've that I've always seen and heard so on the road to Damascus Jesus appears to Saul um boy time flies when you're up here uh you know Jesus appears to Saul and to his posse you know uh this bright light, this, this vision that he has, this audible voice he hears of Jesus. And it's interesting to me, Jesus only really asks him one question. In, in, the earlier, in, the, in the later retelling of the story, there's a little bit more detail than what we get here in Acts, in this first part of Acts. But Jesus says, why are you attacking me? He doesn't, he doesn't, it's not like you know, the <laughs> Moses in the burning bush where he has this back and forth with Saul about what, you know, what, what he's doing and what he wants him to do. He just basically says, why are you persecuting me? And then he leaves him. Uh, leaves him there alone alone. Um, you know, blinded, floundering, uh, so he has to be led into the city to be uh, to be to be uh, to, to 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 spend time pondering it. One commentator I thought was interesting surmised that he says that that, that Saul basically fasts and prays for three days. Which I, one commentator said that that he didn't eat for three days out of shock. You know, like kind of a physical shock, which. Um, but to me, you know, this, this to me, this is like his Jonah experience. It's like in the, you know, in the, in the belly of the great fish. He's, he spends these three days in the dark, you know, in, in, uh, kind of mental and, and, and physical darkness, praying and repenting. And I think he had to spend those three days revisiting everything he'd done from the standing there watching Stephen. I mean, he had to have, I often, you know, Luke records this great detail of Stephen's sermon who do you think was at Stephen's sermon that would remember word for word what what Stephen said I think it was Saul I mean I think Saul you know just went over and over again what he had done and what he'd been doing the number of people he'd arrested the you know the the impact he'd been making um, and Jesus's question to him why are you, you know seeing, seeing that that this divine being that he encounters um, you know considers that he's you know that Saul is persecuting him not these other people. I think in some ways, this time that Paul, this Saul sends, uh spends, maybe, you know, later on he calls himself the chief of sinners. And I think that this, this moment that he has, this time he has of, of really thinking through what he's done uh, may be the, kind of the, the, the genesis of that. So Luke's narrative switched, switches to Ananias, Ananias of Damascus, not to be confused with Ananias of Jerusalem, who's long dead by now. Um, but uh, we don't really know much about Ananias other than what's really recorded here. And then the kind of Paul's, uh, I keep calling him like he, like he is the same guy. Um, I made sure I scrubbed Paul out. Of, I, I tried to scrub it out of my notes. But um, yeah, he's a disciple. It says, Saul later, Paul later says that he's a, a, of upstanding reputation among the Jews um, there in Damascus. But obviously, he's heard, the, he's heard the rumors of why Saul is there. I think the city was 10,000, know, 10, 10, 000, 10 000 to 15,000 Jews in the city. I think the Jewish community was probably pretty buzzing about the idea that this guy came from Jerusalem to, to take out this, these Christians. But, so it's very likely that Damascus knew that of Saul, you know, Saul the Ravager. So our second point there, we see an Ananias, a believer with questions, saying, here I am, Lord. Ananias is a believer with questions saying, here I am, Lord. Jesus appears to him and, you know, I am put myself in his sandals. The idea of this vision appearing and, and, and the voice of God or the voice of Jesus saying my name, which is what happened to Ananias. Uh, and to me, it's interesting. He's like young Samuel in the temple. He says, here I am. And I think it's key to note that he says, here I am before he, before he gets the, the mission, right? You know, he, he, he responds with this level of submission, uh, to 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 the the appearance of this vision. I think it's also interesting, and we mentioned earlier in in the middle of this in the middle of this encounter that he has with Ananias, uh, the Lord reiterates the, the, the great commission. The great commission is you know the gospel is for all people. It's not just for Jews, which may have been news to, to Ananias that that Saul was going to go and 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 lead um, you know. Individuals, small, great, Jewish, Gentile. He's going he's to carry the gospel out to, to all people. So do you identify with Ananias perhaps in this story? If Jesus appeared and called your name, you know, would you answer, here I am? Would you want to add a little caveat? I'm here, but I'm reserving the right to back out a little bit based on what you asked me to do. Perhaps today you know, the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do something that's out of your comfort zone. Maybe even something that you'd consider risky. Could it be a risk to your reputation? We talk a lot about that. In in, in speaking up for him, maybe it's a, a risk to your finances, to your time, to it's just your comforts. Maybe that's what the the Holy Spirit is is prompting you today. If so, you know, will you? Will I say, "Here I am, Lord"? Will we respond that way? So God sends Ananias to Saul. You know, even though he could basically be going there to put his his hands in chains. I mean, that's kind of what he knows. He knows is, is is up for him or potential. But he obeys, and lays his hands on Saul and prays for healing and baptizing him. And then, in a powerful show of repentance, we see that you know this repentance that I think he's kind of been going through for the three days as he's as he's in the dark um, in this work and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Verse twenty says Saul immediately begins powerfully sharing about his faith in the Son of God. I think um, you know this. It's like, it's like he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit after going through this repentant and repentance and then he's shot out of a cannon. And, you know, I don't know, we don't see him really slow down, you know, for the rest of the book of Acts. It's interesting, you know, the story of Saul's conversion is fairly straightforward, something we're probably familiar with. But I think we may, you know, we may take for granted how dramatic it is and what impact it has. If you have any doubt about Christianity in your mind, you know, the reality of, of Christ's resurrection. Consider just this dramatic turn from Saul the Ravager to Saul the, you know, the Apologist, Saul the, the Evangelist, in just a matter of days. I mean, what a tremendous witness that is to the power of the gospel to change a heart. Um, you know, I think it's also, it's also a strong proof of, of the reality of Jesus as the risen Savior. I mean, what happened to him to make this dramatic shift from somebody who was, he was hell-bent on destroying this, this group of people, this movement. And then, you know, a few days later, he's, he goes to the synagogue and proclaims Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, that's, that's something that likely would have gotten him stoned, right? Uh, what, what an amazing picture uh, of the impact of Jesus. I mean, you know, the, people don't do that just for a, you know, flip-flop on a political, uh, you know, a, a political belief or um, I mean, it really shows that he was dramatically impacted by, by a real encounter with the real risen Christ. So, I mean, Saul's conversion alone is one amazing proof to me of God's miraculous work. So Saul, Saul stays in Damascus many days. You know, there's uh, the, there's other parts where he tells more of his story. It look, it's it's like uh, he uh, he likely went to Arabia. He like went off into the wilderness and studied for a while. Spent some time by himself. He spends probably up to about three years, maybe more, in Damascus. Um, They're kind of witnessing and and growing in, in faith. And eventually, as Paul often does, he gets the political leaders there so mad at him that they want to kill him. So he flees at night and goes to Jerusalem. So it's been at least three years since Saul left Jerusalem, maybe more. But, uh, but when he gets there, the, you know, the apostles of the church want nothing to do with him. And I have to say that I was, initially, I was a little hard on them. I thought, you know, what, you know, come on, guys, you're Christians. Be, be a little bit more charitable. But, uh, you know, all the things we've studied, it's really made me you know, sink in the, the level of, uh, they had really good reason to be both suspicious and angry with Paul, right? He's, it's possible he's a double agent. You know, maybe he's just been faking it. Um, but I think even more than that, he, he was responsible for dragging, if not himself, if, if it wasn't him specifically, for dragging people off, their, their, their friends, their family, um, you know, their brothers and sisters in Christ to be, to be thrown into prison and eventually killed. So um, there's certainly some reason why they, you know, they, they, they might be a little, a little suspicious of him. But in our third point, we see Barnabas, who's the encourager, setting aside his anger. Barnabas, the encourager, setting aside his anger. Like Ananias, Barnabas is put in this uncomfortable position, right? He's got this tension between what he feels like he ought to do or what he like he, like he wants to do and what he believes God wants him to do. There's no evidence that we have that Jesus appears in a vision to Barnabas. Uh, in a sense, he may be a little bit more like you and I, right? I, I, I'd love to get, I'd say that. I, I might like to get a vision from God. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I wouldn't. Um, but, you know, if you think, that would be pretty clear if you get this, you know, this, this heavenly vision. But I think Barnabas may have just had, the, you know, the Holy Spirit prompting his heart that he needed to reach out to this guy. Um, so he sets aside his, his fears. He sets aside his fear of what Saul might do to him. Maybe more than that, he sets aside the grudges that he may be holding in his, hand, in, in his heart. Uh, and he follows the Holy Spirit's prompting to go and meet with Saul. We don't have a lot of detail about what he did, but obviously he meets with him, meets with him hears from him, um, studies you know hears his story and becomes convinced uh, of the reality of what he's what he's doing i think you know earlier in acts we learned that 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 barnabas is given this nickname and barnabas is barnabas which basically you know son of encouragement that's a nickname given to him that wasn't his given his given name was joseph i just think it's that's so neat that that he was effectively called the son of encouragement like encouragement man you know it's like what what they call him right um <laughs> And that's, how, and that's how we know him in Scripture. That shows the, kind of the, the character. It's just his nature somewhat to exhort and encourage people. And we see him, as we'll see, he, he appears in, in Acts uh, you know, in, in over and over again encouraging people in the faith. But it's his direct intervention that paves the way for Saul to meet with at least Peter and, Jane, uh, and James, the brother of Jesus, as, as Paul later uh, um, you know, in, encourages, uh, as, as, Saul, as Paul later records. But it enables Saul to be able to to do this ministry. So, so do you see yourself in any of these men? Are you perhaps zealous and and, and religious, but you know, unfortunately, hundred percent wrong? I mean, I think you know, again, it's early on a on a Wednesday morning. Likely, 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 uh, you know, we're we're all authentic believers. But it's possible that we we could be here even today, and, and not have a, actually encountered the real Jesus, but just going through the motions. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask that question, right? If the Lord, if the Holy Spirit's working on your heart, is today the day that, you know, that the blinding light comes to you to, to show you that, you know, are, are you really uh, going in the wrong direction like Saul was? Perhaps, you know, perhaps, you know, like me, you're, 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 the Holy Spirit wants to humble you and, 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 and challenge you about how you're viewing the people around you. Unaware perhaps of the, you know, that you may be hard-headed the way Saul was. Are you facing some uncomfortable change, uh, challenges, something this Holy Spirit's asking you to do or prompting you to, you to do? Will you be like Ananias and say, you know, here I am, Lord? Um, are you, you know, maybe, maybe being prompted like Barnabas to put, put aside, you know, preconceived notions you have, preconceived notions of other people, set aside your priorities, your feelings, and to reach out to someone who may need, uh, may need that encouragement. And I say oh, my, my, my the final takeaway I would have is just to, just to stop and consider the remarkable grace of God. Um, you know, the Lord Jesus appeared to Saul on the road, not with a lightning bolt of, you know, the lightning bolt of judgment, which, which Saul absolutely had earned in spades, right? That's not how Jesus appeared to him. He appeared with this light of truth. And he's he shown that, you know, Jesus knew his sin, he knew his pride, he knew his self-righteousness and his anger, and and he loved him and he chose him. And that's what he does for, for me, right? He knows my sin. He knows my pride. He knows my self-righteousness and my self-sufficiency. And he and he loves me and he chooses me. And that's what he does for you as well. You know that Jesus Jesus shines this light of truth on him. And yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, he has to spend these three days of really wrestling with what, you know, what have I done? What am, what am I doing? Um, but then Jesus, you know, in this remarkable story of grace. He turns him into arguably one of the most influential Christians to walk the earth. Saul's letters fill our New Testament with uh, brilliant apologetics. But in some ways, you know, maybe his life is the greatest testimony of, of, of the power of God. So the touch of Jesus, his work in my life and in your life can transform our hearts of stone. His blood can wash away our sins. You know, there's, there's no, no heart too hard, no, no life too messy, um, you know, for, for, for Jesus to be able to turn us around. And the work is never done, right? You know, I've been a Christian. We were talking about you know our our, our salvation story, you know, briefly a little at our table. And um, I've been I've been saved a long time, but the work is never done. You know, the the Lord wants to work on you and me continuously as as, as we go, and as we're changed, as we continue to repeatedly turn away from the sin. Uh, that may be plaguing us. He fills us with His Holy Spirit's power. So I would just encourage you, may we join with Ananias. Ananias was the regular guy, not the rock star, right? And say, here I am, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to do. Uh, use me as you will. Uh, even if it's uncomfortable, if it's risky, risky to, you know, to to your time, to your comfort, to whatever it may be that the Lord is, uh, is, is pressing on you. But uh, say yes to Him so that He can accomplish His purpose and bring glory to His name through us. so Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, this encouraging word. Thank you for the remarkable grace that you offer to each one of us. Lord, you are, uh, you are so good to us and we are so undeserving. Maybe we haven't done what Paul did, what Saul did, um, but we can join him in repentance and contemplating the, both the, the remarkable things that we are capable of and the remarkable grace that you offer to us through the blood of Jesus. Uh, keep it uh, present in our hearts and minds as we go through today. And Lord, let us just live out our lives for you, uh, responding to your spirit's prompting to to, to speak when, when you prompt us to and to give and to do as you would have us do. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.